Hi everyone, this is Alice from the Postdoctoral Development Center at Queen's University Belfast and you're listening to our podcast, The Theory of the Postdoc Evolution. In this 12th episode, Craig Davison, postdoc in the Patrick J. Johnson Center for Cancer Research, interviews Dr. Donna Small, a lecturer from the same center. This was recorded in February 2021 and Donna provided some insight on how obtaining a personal fellowship enabled her to develop her own research niche and kickstart her academic career. Enjoy. Thank you to our guest today, Dr. Donna Small. We really appreciate you um, giving time out of your busy schedule to come and have a chat with us. So Donna Small is a lecturer, cancer biologist and principal investigator who works in the Patrick G. Johnson Center for Cancer Research. Donna completed her PhD in 2012 in the School of Pharmacy in Queens before working as a postdoc in CEM. Um, in 2016, Donna was awarded a Medical Research Foundation Fellowship and in 2018 started her own lab in the Patrick G. Johnson Center for Cancer Research. Um, Donna's lab works on understanding how proteases and antiproteases alter immune cells, particularly T cells and macrophages to unravel the multifaceted immune mechanisms that permit these enzymes to manipulate the tumour microenvironment, leading to tumour progression, metastasis and poor response to anti-cancer therapies. I uh, hope that was an okay introduction, Donna. Um, but just to get into the question, so you are a lecturer um, and becoming a lecturer is the aim of many postdocs, but many of us have only experienced what it would be like to be a lecturer from observing our supervisors. Could you kind of talk us through what a typical week looks like for you? So a typical week usually starts off on a Monday morning with a lot of emails to answer from uh, the previous week. So it, it tends to be a lot of administrative work on a week to week basis. And that can include teaching administration. It can also be from my research group administrative um, aspects that's needed for my students or for my lab. So it, it it really can vary. Because I'm still quite junior as a lecturer, I do try to get into the lab. I think I'm quite hesitant to to give that up. I like to put on the lab coat and, and still get in and, and do experiments. So um, where possible, um, I have been doing that a lot more, particularly during the pandemic. You know, with with the restrictions, it's important to keep the the research going. And then, particularly during the teaching semesters, I would I would have uh, a couple of hours of teaching um, each week. So, I mean, take your pick: admin, research, teaching. It's it's got it all. Very good. I think I'd be like you. Yeah, I think I'd struggle to leave the lab work completely. Yeah, I'm hanging on for dear life. Uh, what do you enjoy the most about your job? It definitely is is the research and and the flexibility within academic research. I had previously worked in industry prior to my PhD, and I think within academic research, um, you have a lot more freedom to explore um, important questions and different avenues of research that your results may may throw out. So, I mean, I really love the research side of things. I'm very passionate about that. Um, and the fact that I can still get into the lab makes me very happy, you know, as a, as a PI. So it has to be the research. Okay. Um, and what part of your job do you find most challenging? 
the emails and the administration. I mean, it 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 will always take up a lot more time than you anticipate. I always say to myself, I've oh, I've got a few emails to to reply to here, and you think that's going to take ten fifteen minutes, and realistically, I could be an hour later, and I'm still replying to these emails. And when I'm replying to those emails, there's another few emails that have come in. So it can be very overwhelming at times, the amount of admin that's needed to, to fulfill the job. So that's probably, for me, the most difficult part of the job and definitely not one I particularly like. Uh, I think I'd be the same as well. I already hate admin and I don't have anywhere near as much as I'm sure you do. Um, can you talk us through briefly how you got here from completing your PhD in 2012? To my position right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, it actually probably started before finishing my PhD. I, I had worked in industry for three years prior to starting a PhD in 2008. Um, and the reason why I started my PhD was because I knew within industry at that time, I couldn't get suitable promotions because I lacked the PhD qualification. So I was very fortunate in that in one of the jobs that I was in, it was a spin-out company from Queen's, and I was able to uh, really take up a, a, a very quick approach to my PhD, really doing the same work that I was doing in the industry job as part of my PhD. So I was very focused, and I was very quick to pick up that um, I knew I wasn't going to go back into industry when I finished my PhD. That was That was a given. So when I finished in 2012, I knew I wanted to do a postdoc and had secured a postdoc position in, at the time it was the Centre of Infection and Immunity. So my PhD was in cancer research in the School of Pharmacy, but I took a complete step back from cancer research and moved into looking at uh, respiratory diseases, both acute and chronic, and very quickly realised when I was within my first postdoc, I wanted to get back into cancer research. Now, I was very fortunate at the time. Um, the PI that I, I worked for, uh, Professor Cliff Taggart, was hugely supportive of that. I, I had that conversation with him early on, and I said, you know what, I really enjoy the lab. I really enjoy working for you, but this is not where I want to go with my long-term academic career. And he was very supportive of that. Um, and we started discussions with the Cancer Centre to see where I could maybe start picking up my own area of research. And that's very important. It's getting your own area of research. It's not getting an area of research that somebody's already doing. And we started having the discussions and I, I quickly identified key areas that Queen's was lacking in terms of a, a, a cancer type. Um, I focus on lung cancer and mesothelioma but also the immune aspect. Cancer immunology is very hot topic at the moment um, in terms of new therapeutic strategies and development. And we don't, or we didn't at the time, have a lot of that in the university. So that's where I had decided was going to be my position. So it was just a matter of starting the conversations um, with the various funders and seeing what funding was available and um, seeing what I was eligible for, and that's important to make sure that you're eligible to apply for for fellowships. I, I was lucky in that whilst I was working on my postdoctoral work for my supervisor, 
I was able to slot in experiments that would get me pilot data for my fellowships um, without compromising my work for him. It, it, it just worked. And then I just had conversations with senior academics who have been very uh, fantastic mentors to me, helped me shape applications and, and my CV. And actually, um, when I got my fellowship, I knew that was it. There was going to be no step back to being a postdoc. I knew once I had got the fellowship, the next step was going to either be a long term fellowship or going to be a, a, a lecture and getting a, a lectureship. So it was, again, finding what was available to me. Um, and my personal circumstances um, meant that I wasn't going to be in a position to leave Northern Ireland. So it was meant that I was going to focus either on Queens or UU. Um, and so I just uh, checked out what my options were, put in applications. I actually applied for a lectureship and an internal fellowship scheme at Queens. And to my utter surprise, I actually got shortlisted to interview for a lectureship. I did not think I was going to, to get that for a start. I uh, was very stunned, then very panicked because <laughs> you have to prepare for the interview. And really didn't expect much out of the interview. Uh, I didn't think I was going to get a, a position at all. Um, and I really had the philosophy of I've nothing to lose in the interview. Go in, sell your research well. I did. I came out feeling relatively positive that I'd done a good job. And a couple of weeks later, I got the phone call to say we would like to offer you the position. And that was in August 2018. And um, it's been fantastic. And I've been very fortunate to align myself to other um, newly appointed PIs at the time. There was quite a few of us had started in 2018 and we've really gelled in terms of our research and our, our collaborative output. So it's been it's been fantastic. And from a research perspective, I, I've loved it. I have no regrets. That sounds great. Um, I'm kind of starting to get to a point in my career where I'm looking at fellowships and looking at what I could be potentially competitive for. Um, and I know many other postdocs are doing that as well. Can you talk us through sort of that time when you first started to think about fellowships? Um, how did you kind of put those applications together? And did you have multiple attempts or was the fellowship you got the first one you applied for? Yeah, so when when I was um, with my, my PI at the time and I knew I wanted to go into my own area of research, um, I knew I had to get a fellowship because he didn't work in, in cancer research at the time. And there was a, a postdoc in our centre who had come in to work with Professor Denise Fitzgerald, and she had just secured a, a Leverhulme Fellowship, and she was giving a talk about her career. And I, I went to it, and I remember being um, absolutely in awe of her career and her progression. And I remember thinking at the time, I really want to be like that I really want to you know have that career path and she really inspired me um so I had a chat with with Dr Yvonne Dombrowski about her career and you know she really just said you have to go for it uh, you have to try these these fellowships you're going to get rejections of course you are but it's about you know learning from the experience so first and foremost it was my CV I had a look at my CV my papers Papers are paramount for fellowship applications. They really are, um, not to sound uh, like every other PI, but it, it is true. And 
I, I went about making sure that I, I was keeping my, my own papers coming through, but whilst also supporting other research in the lab. The best piece of advice I could offer anyone that is genuinely thinking about fellowships is to have your CV critiqued early. Uh, do not wait for years um, into a postdoc position. The earlier, the better. Um, but be prepared for very harsh not, I wouldn't like to say criticism, but it can feel like criticism. Um, and it really is. And somebody's just imparting their opinion. And it's really about taking that on board. And I was very fortunate to do that. So once you have your CV looking pretty good, it's about finding what you're eligible for. And that's just going to take time trawling the different funders' websites and seeing what they're offering for your stage of career. Nobody can really do that for you because we all work in different areas of, of research and um, so it's just spending the time and then once you have found fellowships that you are eligible for and that your area of research is um, also applicable for I would really encourage you uh, as the person that wants the fellowships to contact the funders reach out to them Ask them if they have a program manager involved in their fellowship schemes and could you organise a meeting with them to discuss criteria, fit, research programmes, because they're on the, the forefront of seeing these fellowship applications, you know, week in, week out. So they will really be able to impart a lot of tips and advice as to where you're at in, in terms of career. Uh, stage for their fellowship application uh, and actually I I've contacted funders quite a lot for for various fellowships and also and uh, I grant applications and at the time that I got the Medical Research Foundation fellowship you had to have a minimum of three years postdoc experience uh, and a maximum of six and uh, the closing date was just a few months after I hit the three months or three-year mark, so I, I just about made uh, the criteria um, by the skin of my teeth, and it was the first application I put in. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, do, I don't know if it's luck or whether it was just a really top-notch application, but uh, it was. The only thing I will say now is you will have to sacrifice time to put in those applications. So I give up weekends. I give up my Easter uh, holidays to, to submit that application because obviously I was a postdoc working on a different position. You know, my PI needed his work done. So it's going to take a lot of commitment if you want to go down that route. Well, it certainly doesn't sound like luck that you got your first <laughs> application accepted. Um, how soon after your PhD did you get your first fellowship? So I submitted my PhD thesis in February 2012 and I submitted the application for my fellowship in May 2015 but didn't actually find out um, I got it funded until January 2016. So there's you know there is quite a, a lengthy period between submission and, and finding out. Um, so three years um, between submission of PhD to submission of fellowship. Um, how long was the fellowship for and do you think your chances for a fellowship are diminished the longer you've been a postdoc? So my fellowship was for uh, three years in total. Um, 
Now, the, the actual research time was two years, but because I had got my uh, lectureship during that time, I was able to go to my funders and apply for a no-cost extension um, to my fellowship application because it was funding my salary. And because then I moved on to a lectureship scale, it meant then that I could use the remainder of my salary to employ a technician, uh, which was fantastic for me. And uh, it meant then I could lengthen out the term of the fellowship. Now, in terms of does your chances diminish as you progress, that is really going to come down to the eligibility criteria on particular fellowships. The one that I applied for did have a cutoff point. You had to have a minimum of three years postdoc, but a maximum of six years. And um, because they were really targeting, you know, early to interim period postdocs. Now, a lot of the more career development oriented fellowships that you might see with the Wellcome Trust or the MRC or indeed CRUK, if you're involved in cancer research, don't have a cut off point. They've got rid of that. They did in the past. It used to be seven or eight years, but a lot of them have actually got rid of that. So it, it's really going to come down to the type of fellowship that you're applying for. What I will say um, in my own experience and, and even now looking at, at grant applications and, and uh, reviewing grant applications, the longer you are a postdoc, the more expectation there would be on, on having a very, very strong publication list and having several publications, you know, because you've been postdocing a lot longer. The publications is, will expect be expected to to rise with that, so um, you have to bear that in mind. Yeah, sounds like great advice. Um, how did you develop your research plan for your lectureship? So my research plan really for the lectureship was based on my uh, fellowship, and um, because my fellowship was already independent area of research for me from my former um, PI, that was my, my focal point. The other um, strong angle to my research area was the fact that it was new to Queen's in terms of cancer immunology. Um, so I, I really focused on bringing that aspect into the centre. Now, I, I shifted centres. I, I At the time I was finishing my fellowship, I was in the Centre for Experimental Medicine. So I was applying for lectureships in the cancer centre. So that's kind of where I was pitching myself at. I was coming from working in lung immunology in uh, acute and chronic respiratory diseases, but putting that into a lung cancer context and also um, mesothelioma. And one of the major angles that I was targeting was um, bringing in new technologies and new um, modalities for looking at um, immunophenotyping of um, tumour-associated immune cells. So I was very keen on, on bringing in new aspects of flow cytometry, which was my first grant that I applied for as a PI, because I needed a new flow cytometer to, to do my research. Um, so I had to apply for a grant for that. So that's that will be your strength, particularly if you want to stay within the same institution. It has to be independent and it has to be something novel and new to the university because that's what they'll be after. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, the point about if you're staying within the university, you need to be bringing something unique yeah. and new. 
Um, so another question was, we, we all kind of know that academic work can be really stressful and pressurized. Um, do you have any advice for PhD students and postdocs for looking after their mental health and well-being? And what do you do to de-stress? Yeah, so funny, this is a conversation I, I had this week with my PhD students. So I have I have two PhD students who are in second year. And, you know, I had this chat with them during the week, you know, about how they're feeling and how they are uh, coping with, you know, lab work, particularly with shift work at the moment and you know, how, how they're finding everything. And it's not just even to consider that during a pandemic. I think it's important to to have that line of communication open with your students and vice versa. Your students have that line of communication open with your PI. And that's not to say you have to share your personal history. You really don't. But it's it's also to, to highlight, you know, that sometimes there will be periods in your PhD that will be absolutely horrendous. Um, I have been very honest with my students. When I done my PhD, there was no senior PhD students in the lab. There was no postdocs. There was no technicians. And I very much had to get on with it. The best way to get on with something is, you know, not to be afraid to ask for help. Uh, not to be afraid to ask your neighbour, you know, have you ever done this experiment before? Because I haven't a clue. And that's key. It's coming and asking for the help, the support that you need. And just keeping the lines of communication open. In terms of how I de-stress, I'm not a very patient <laughs> person. Uh, particularly with lab work. Uh, I, I just have this mantra of I just love to get into the lab and do it myself because uh, I always think I'm quicker, um, but I have to let it go sometimes. So the best way for me to de-stress is to get away from the computer and the lab and go for a walk, um, literally go for a walk for about an hour. And you just think of silly stuff. And, you know, you, you think of your shopping list. You, you know, you forget about work think of oh I need to ring such and such a person so it is important to step away from from your research and and your your work um, but it's also important to talk to people and communicate okay yeah I've got two dogs so they kind of forced me to get out and exactly get, yeah. walking every get a day. pet don't have a choice um, could you share with us the best piece of advice you were given regarding career development mentors uh, I would tell um, PhD students and postdocs to get mentors. And what I mean by mentors is I don't mean your line manager or your PI that you work for. Um, I would strongly recommend that you have mentors that are completely independent of your research uh, and the type of research that you're trying to get into because they're not going to be uh, connected to it. They're not going to be uh, emotionally involved in that type of work. And they are the people that will be very brutally honest with you. Uh, they will critique your CV. They will critique your attitude to to academic research, but they'll also be a shoulder to cry on when things can get hard and it, it can get tough. So I was very fortunate. I had several um, members, members of the academic community that were my mentors that were not involved in my research and they were very honest with with me. And the other piece of advice that I not that I was given, but it was actually a, a lecture, an inaugural lecture that I went to when I was a PhD student, a professor in the School of Pharmacy. She was given her inaugural lecture and she, she kept reiterating this, this same sentence and it has completely resonated with me. And I tell it to everyone as well. 
is if you don't ask, you will not get. So if you're not going to ask for help, if you're not going to ask for the fellowships, if you're not going to ask, you're not going to get them. And following on from that, what is the worst that can be said? No? Fine. Okay, so you don't get the first fellowship. You dust yourself off. You get feedback. You get advice. And you just go again. All right. Thank you, Donna. Um, That was all really great advice. Thank you so much for your time. Some good advice indeed from Donna here. And if you want to follow our path, Find a few academics from your field and ask them to help identify the gaps in your CV so that you know very early what you need to work on. And also consider applying for your own fellowship. For more tips from academics, check all our episodes on the website at go.qub.ac.uk slash podcast PDC. Bye!